This season is sponsored by Future Farm, the revolutionary meatless meat food company from Brazil. They're cooking up products which can match and exceed our juicy meaty favourites on taste, texture and sizzling flavour using only 100% natural ingredients. My favourite? There's too much choice. But if I had to choose, hands down, it would be the future meatballs and future mints in my classic lasagna dish. And get this, they're standing up for some pretty big things too, like reclaiming the Amazon rainforest back by fostering the movement towards GMO-free and deforestation-free products in place of those that are unethical and illegal. Definitely not just another plant-based brand, hey? Very up my street. The full Future Farm range is available now at Sainsbury's. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, industry insiders, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Jared Frank, MD, a celebrity cosmetic dermatologist and founder of the P. Frank MD brand. Via his practices in New York City, the Hamptons and Miami, he has become one of the most renowned cosmetic dermatologists in the world. Through his recent book, The Pro-Aging Playbook, Dr. Frank has changed the narrative towards the idea of aging. Up until now, we have bought into the anti-aging philosophy. If there's one thing we know for certain, he says, we're all going to the same place in the end. So now is the time to empower ourselves through lifestyle choices and the latest technologies that can allow us to essentially grow old gracefully. I'm here for it. It all starts from the outside in, particularly with our nutrition. What a great angle to broach the subject of food than with the man himself, Dr. Paul Jared Frank. Thank you for joining me. Wow, wow that deserves like a lot of background <laughs> clapping that introduction, not for me, but for you. Thank you very much. I hope I sound that good the rest of the day. I'm sure you will. I've actually, <laughs> in, in preparation for um, our, our little chat, I have been watching um, a lot of your videos on Instagram. And yes. what I like about them is that it's, it's you're very approachable. I always find that when um, I have spoken to people sort of in certain fields that you're in, there, there, there's that element of arrogance that can come with it. And I feel like it's sort of a world that I'm like not meant to be in or not meant to be like, you know, you have your place, Hannah, I have mine. You know, you're, you're very, you're friendly. Yeah, it, you know, that's very old school doctor mentality, this intimidation white coat type of thing. And I think, you know, in any form of medicine, whether it's cosmetic or if you're really sick, the most important thing patients need is to feel comfortable. So authenticity and making people feel comfortable is the biggest skill a doctor of any kind can learn. And it's no fun standing on a pedestal all the time. You want to be friends with the people you're helping. So absolutely. So Dr. Paul, how are you? I'm good. I'm hungry. (laughs) Are you? So does that mean you haven't eaten breakfast yet? It's pretty early where you are because you're in New York City right now, aren't you? Yeah, it is about um, 8.30 in the morning. You know, I'm not a big breakfast eater. If I eat a big breakfast or or a regular-sized breakfast, I'm, like, famished by 11 o'clock. I'm usually a cup of coffee, 
maybe a handful of granola. I'm usually a scavenger. I have a few bites of whatever my kids are eating for breakfast. This morning, there was a freshly made challah toast, uh, a French toast made. So I took like three bites of maple syrup dosed carbs and and called it a morning. So it was fine. (laughs) That sounds delicious. It is. My wife's very good at breakfast. I usually indulge on the weekends when it comes to breakfast. Yeah, I'm the same as you. And also I find, I don't know about you, but how I sort of plan my day is that I exercise first thing in the morning and I prefer to exercise on an empty stomach. And also I'm just not hungry at eight o'clock in the morning. It's just not, my 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 body clock is not there. So I like to eat sort of like mid-morning anyway. So I'm very much on the same page. I think it's what your body gets used to. You know what I mean? Um, And I like... You know, I don't live specifically intermittent fasting, but I think, you know, I like to go until like 11, 12 o'clock before I really put something of substance in. And there are studies that show that your workouts are better on not zero calories, but, you know, not on a big breakfast. 50, 100 calories is more than enough. Yeah, I think so, too. So the question is, are you are you are we recording from the office that's in yeah. uh, Fifth Avenue, or are we in the new office in the West so, Village? So we are we are in the new office in the West Village, which I've been here for 51 years. That's how old I am in New York. And this has always been my favorite area to live in. When I was young and cool, I lived in the West Village. Um, the setup is great, but that's why you're not seeing my artwork on the walls yet. We're still a little bit of a work yeah. in progress, but very excited to be downtown. I used to live in the West Village. Yeah, it's amazing, right? It's I still the it. same. I love it. My and I think because you're on Perry Street, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on Perry so, Street, right by where Sex in the City was. I know was exactly because when my dad was a hippie in the '70s, he used to live on Perry <laughs> Street. <laughs> oh, it's so cool! And you know what? Yeah. Again, I've been here my whole life. The block that I'm on hasn't changed since I was a kid. In fact, the the bar, the other room that is uh, across the street, has been there yeah. for like 30 years. I used to go on first dates there across the street. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You've come around full circle. That's right. So That's right. you've obviously been talking about the fact that you are born and raised in New York. I want to talk about your childhood. I want to know yeah. what life was like growing up. I want to know what you were eating, who was yeah. cooking, did how did food play a part in your life? Was it important? Yeah. Sort of paint yeah. the picture. Well, I, I was very lucky. I, I did grow up a privileged life in New York. My father's a dentist. My mother's a nurse. They afforded me the opportunity to have the best education. We were able to go on vacations. So I was very lucky that I was given the best of what New York had to offer at the time. You know, New York in the 70s and 80s wasn't a great place to live. So we lived quite well. My mother um, is Italian. She, my, her heritage is Sicilian. My father's Eastern European Jew, but I spent a lot of time with my mother's family. My grandfather was a butcher in Queens, an Italian butcher. And he had three daughters, one of which was my mother. The other two were twins. And we grew up around food. You know, my grandfather was always cooking meat. Uh, My mother and aunts were always cooking and baking. There was always food in the house. And um, uh, it it was great. I, I I was brought up on home cooking. Um, as a child, you know, I was heavy as a child, which is always was always part of an insecurity for me. I didn't really get into exercise and other forms of self-care until I was really in high school when I kind of bloomed. Um, so that's part of the reason why I'm so attentive to nutrition today, because I love food, but I understand the abuse of it also. Mm. And like all drugs and all treatments and everything in life, there's no such thing that's 100% good or 100% bad. 
Um, so food was a huge part of my life. And yeah, a lot of Italian cuisine, home-cooked cuisine. So like, give me some examples of like the dishes that sort of remind you of oh. your childhood. I mean, sausage and peppers. Oh, stop. Uh, home-baked, home-baked cookies, you know, steak, fish, a lot of, you know, a lot of red sauce, pastas, really good stuff. And a lot of that was all centered around the holidays with my grandfather. My, my grandmother wasn't alive. Um, so my grandfather was really the patriarch uh, of the family. And we spent all of our holidays together and vacations together. And food was such a big part of it. Um, you know, it's funny. I never learned how to cook myself in my younger years. I lived with my sister, who now runs my entire enterprise. When I was in med school, she was in college. She's my younger sister. And she cooked. But, you know, it's funny. As an adult, I love to cook now. I cook every weekend on my Instagram. I'm always cooking. But I was always the entertainer. I always was the guy who threw the parties. But at some point in my life, I had to mature from kegs and cocktails <laughs> to other forms of entertaining. And that's really where the food came in. And yeah. I've been fortunate enough. I have a, a weekend home out in Long Island in the Hamptons. And that's where I really, in my 30s, just jumped into cooking. And, you know, as your metabolism change, as your needs, nutritional needs change, I realized what I was always in the back of my head, which there's nothing better than home cooking, period. Mm. I mean, you've obviously mentioned that you've, you've come from this medical background. So the idea of you going into medicine, was that kind of a given? Was it something that you actually wanted to do? I know that you do mention this yeah. in the book, but for the people who yeah. have not read it yet, um, you know, was it, w were you actually interested in it? And then also, you know, why dermatology? So, you know, I, I think we all, we all end up in things from our influences around us. And it's what my parents knew. They knew medicine, they knew dentistry, yeah. they knew nursing. So of course, that's what they wanted me to become. They were successful at it. They wanted that from their, their, their son. Uh, I was a little resistant at first, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I was good at math and science. Um, I did love shows about nature. I loved shows about animals. And it really took until the, the later years of university where I was like, I wanted it for myself. I was a, bit, a little bit of a late bloomer. And then mm. once I realized medicine is what I wanted, I, I just excelled in there. Now, dermatology, you know, I, always, I tell this joke in my book, my mother, who is a nurse, she spent a lot of time around doctors. And she was always like, become a dermatologist uh, or an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor, that you never see them in the hospital. And when you do, they're the most rested and the best dressed. You know, when people... Uh, when, People will walk around with high blood pressure and chest pain. Uh, but if they have a spot on their skin, they got to go to the dermatologist right away. And, you know, true. that wasn't my exact reasoning, but it's one of the reasons why I love dermatology so much, because whether it's something medical or cosmetic, people are attentive to what they see. They don't yeah. think about their diabetes. They don't think about their high blood pressure. And it's unfortunate, but we are a very visual, um, very visual creatures. So uh, we use that feedback for what our desires are. And you know what's interesting about that is that we, I agree with you, we are visual creatures. And I do feel that's kind of been sold to all of us as like a bit of a negative thing. Like we're really vain and uh, sort of uh, self-involved. But actually, yeah. for me, you know, especially during like a pandemic, when we've been in lockdown, you know, we I've become a little bit uh, lazy, I guess, with like the way that I dress or putting on a little bit of makeup every day or, you know, whatever it might be. 
And I always do believe that when those days where I just do a little something, I feel a little bit better inside. You feel better. Yeah, we, we use our own we use our own visual cues. I think the confusion is and then the negative attributions to this vanity thing is that it, it's about meeting a beauty standard. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being the better version of ourselves, not comparing to other people. And whether it you know, I sometimes on a day off when I haven't seen nobody, I'll shave because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel rested. It's not about what other people are doing. And I think there's there's been too much focused on a comparative analysis of do we want to look like that skinny person? Is is this type of skin in or that body shape in? And I think fortunately, we're now getting away from that and realizing that it's about ourselves. Talk to me about what pro-aging is. I've read the book. Um, and actually, I have to be honest, it was a real eye opener for me. And I've passed it on to my mum, who oh. I think is going to be massively into the book, because yeah. something that you said really resonated with me, which I mentioned in the intro about this culture that we've been fed of anti aging, that if we buy this or do that, we will stop the signs and it's all anti this negative that, yeah. you know, and, and, and you're actually changing the narrative to this whole idea of pro-aging. You know, it's inevitable yeah. that we're all going to age. You know, we're not yeah. robots, not yet anyway. <laughs> and it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yes. Thank God yes. we can age. We yes. have the, we're so fortunate from modern science to watch the wrinkles form. And isn't yeah. it great? We have antibiotics and toothpaste and shampoo and all these things that are, you know, really not natural. They're keeping us looking as good as we feel on the inside. And that's one of the things as we get older, the perception changes. We're able to keep ourselves heavier, uh, healthy, but the way we look in the mirror, there's a disconnect. So of course we want to feel and look vital, not just feel good, you know, because everyone's been told, are you tired? You look tired. We all hear that. And then we want to punch that person in the face for saying that because <laughs> we're not tired and we're not stressed out, but it's that type of visual cue. Um, so the term pro-aging really, you know, I'm trying to go beyond the stereotype of cosmetic surgery, because to me, looking good has so much more to do with what's in a needle or what's in a knife. It's really a lifestyle. It's a mojo. It's a sense of vitality that 95 year olds have that some 30 year olds don't have and vice versa. So I really try and tap into what's in between people's ears, how they eat, how they exercise, how they love how they control stress. This is the important part of feeling and looking young. I am just a part of it. I'm the mm. icing on the cake in mm. terms of what I do in my office every day. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions about this. So I think, and I'm kind of sort of hope that I'm speaking for perhaps the demographic that listened to my podcast. You know, I am a young-ish 30-something woman um, and I have definitely seen changes only in the past couple years with not just the skin on my face but my body, my hair, how I move, how I think. I mean as you said like it's all the different components together. It's gonna get worse. Great, I can't <laughs> wait and I'm gonna be booking a flight straight to New York to your office. It's all good, it's all good. <laughs> I mean, listen, we're all trying to str like hold on to this this idea of youth, right? So, you know, this aging process, how do we do it? We're talking about these different components. Um, one thing that I know I am very guilty of um, is sun exposure. 
you know that you kind of and I and I feel as like sort of the average woman out there or average person out there should I say you know some people say oh no a little bit of sun is good for you oh you should be wearing SPF every day I know for me personally the issue that will be is going to be my sun damage you can't see it right now because actually I've got a light on me that's looking okay. But I you know in, in, in years to come, yeah. I think the sun damage will be the issue because what I want to ask is, is I've taken a lot of sun over the years. Is it now too late for me and people like me? It, well, first of all, it's never too late. It's never too late to start eating right, to start exercising, to make changes in your relationship. So in the same way, it's never too late to start taking care of your skin. You will always benefit. And, you know, I always say in medicine, the best results you get um, is the, the best way to get a, a bruise to heal is to stop punching yourself in the arm. You'd be amazed how much just abstinence from the things that are bad for you will make a difference in the way you live. Everybody wants a pill. They want a cream. They want a laser. They want something to fix something. And thank God we have all those things. I'll, I'll be fraxeling away your sun damage, which will not only make you look good, but will also decrease your risk of skin cancer. Yeah. But showing moderation, being smarter, as we get older, and it's usually past the age of 30, we have to start shifting and adapting our lifestyles because we all wish we could just be 20 and like go out and party and roll out of bed and look great on camera the next day and eat whatever we want. I see all these models on Instagram. They're eating like bacon cheeseburgers. That day will end for all of us where we actually have to embrace our lifestyle changes. And, um, you know, again, this is part of the pro-aging process. It's adapting. And let's talk about the food element, because I do feel like it's something that is not like it's high on the list in terms yeah. of one of the things that we need to think about when Absolutely. thinking about our lifestyle. And obviously today we're talking, you know, we're talking about skin or whatever, but the nutrition aspect of it I think most people will know if you're going to eat a really high sugar diet and you're going to eat junk food your skin's not going to look great like I know if no I way. had a bad weekend of eating I'm probably going to get a spot or this or that and my skin's Absolutely. just going to look a bit you know sallow and whatever you know what what do you kind of recommend or what, what's your ethos in terms of eating yeah. because a lot of people when you say the word diet I think that scares a lot of people because then it thinks yes. of restrict. You think of restriction, and you're like, "Well, if I if you can't have that, then you kind of rebel against it." It's like anti aging diet. Exactly. is like anti aging. Yeah, it's a marketing pitch. It's someone trying to sell you something. Mm. Um, really, you have to make lifestyle changes. That's what it is as you get older. And you know, listen, as my father says, you only live twice, and this is the second time around. So enjoy a little <laughs> bit. You know, I'm not one for huge restricting. I'm one of control, but not of restricting. Mm -hmm. And I just think you have to find a balance. Some people could eat more carbs. Others can't. Some people could eat more alcohol. You have to, you know, when you eat the wrong foods or you drink too much, or if you smoke, or if you lay in the sun too much, we're, we're pretty, in, we're more intuitive than we think. We're just good at ignoring things. We know yeah. when we're doing the damage and you have to find the balance. I am a man of moderation and I like to, uh, I like to indulge too, but it's about treating yourself, not, you know what I mean? It's not cheating, it's treating. Mm. And I think that's the way people have to look at this whole like diet thing and moderation. You just have to take away a lot of the negative connotations and find your balance. Absolutely. I think something else as well that you, you've spoken about in the book, which is also something else that is 
massively um, a huge talking subject is this idea of, of the standards of beauty. Yeah. And, you know, that changes over time. And it's also a very subjective opinion. Absolutely. You know, what yeah. you might think is beautiful, I might not think, and vice versa. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, how I think, how I look on a, any given day, you might think, oh, my God, Hannah, you're looking great today. And I'm going to be like, really? I haven't yeah. slept in three days and I look like crap. I mean, you know, whatever. But, you know, what are your thoughts on like the younger generation that are coming up now? You know, we're in this world of social media, selfie culture, as as you've spoken yeah. about in the in the book. Um, put it this way. I don't have kids yet. I'm very nervous about bringing children into into the world as it is yeah. now. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. didn't have that growing up. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the positive things first. And the positive things first, whether it, in, in the beauty magazines or in my practice, I don't think we are slaves to a standard anymore. We see people of all shapes and sizes. Uh, finally, we're breaking some uh, gender boundaries, racial boundaries. People are paying more attention. And it's no longer just white ladies that lunch, uh, that get that are able to get some rejuvenation. So the access of making yourself look and feel good, whether it's being able to afford a gymnasium, buy healthy food, or get a little Botox every once in a while is accessible to everybody. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that it's extremely market, marketable cosmetic surgery. And it's, of course, hitting young people. Now, we know for generations, young men and women have insecurities. That's what being a youthful person is about. So, you know, we were fearful. First, in my generation, they were fearful of looking at girls that were too skinny in the magazines. Now it's like young people getting Botox and fillers. And I think, you know, the vehicles change, but historically, we always have to be careful of the youth falling prey to these type of false beauty standards. And I think that's what parenting is for. Um, mm. I have no problem with young adults in their 20s doing small tweaks. Because by the way, it's in your star 20s when you start getting sunspots. There are a lot of young people with acne scars. Um, there are a lot of people who want to get, a, get rid of excess hair in certain areas, or they have certain birthmarks like the wine stains in children. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look your best. But clearly, there is an abuse of this. And I'm not into drastically changing one's appearance. I tell all my young patients. You will, I said, as insecure as you are now, you will spend the rest of your life looking at pictures, wishing you look like you do right now. Mm, and I think true. it's just about education. It's about education and parenting. And uh, that's where things start. I feel like, and I agree with you. And I, I do like the positive angle that you, that you take on that. I just feel like there are a lot of people also abusing their position as in, you know, Absolutely. You know, there are very well-known people out there who have drastically oh, yeah. altered their appearance. And my issue is, it's so clear that you've done something and, and you've altered whatever it is, whether it be your whole body, your face, whatever. I don't care whether you have a hair extensions, um, yeah. but own it. I agree. I agree. You know, that's the you know, issue. When you simply do not look like the person that you did five years ago, just own it. You know, yeah. we've all got again, our issues. And, but the problem is, is that I, people like me who 
I like to think that I'm pretty grounded and I'm very into the natural look and whatever, but even I fall prey to it and I'll go on, you know, social media and be like, oh my God, like maybe I do need to do this. Maybe, do you know what? I really want to get my lips filled. My lips are too thin. Like, you know, and then I have to stop myself and be like, Hannah, just hold on a second. (laughs) Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Exactly. I mean, I still might want to get my lip done, but that's a separate conversation. Well, that's okay. (laughs) Again, but you have to get, you have to make these decisions based on you, not comparatively. And I agree with you 100%. And and listen, I do believe more celebrities are more open about things, but we all know the examples. I'm not going to name the names of people (laughs) who want, because I've done my own Instagram stuff on these poor people, but uh, you know, where they, they want you to think they roll out of bed looking like this at Mm -hmm. 50. You know, but there are people that are more authentic. And listen, we don't need the nitty gritty that you had a facelift and your nose done and your lips done. But own up to the fact that you are willing to do what's necessary to make you feel good about yourself and your public image. And don't give people the insecurity that they are just uh, one's genetically blessed and the other people just have to catch up to them by all means possible, Mm. you know. And then on the absolute flip side, I think the best story that I got from your book was about your wonderful 94-year-old patient. Oh, yes. Who was, I mean, I I don't, I hope she's still with us. I don't know. She's not. She's not. Oh, you're kidding. I know. She would have been like 96, 97 right now. But man, she lived a great life. I mean, and the story is so brilliant. I'm going to ask you to to discuss it. But it's interesting that it's, we're not just talking about a young generation. We're not talking about girls in their 20s who are looking at photos on Instagram and bringing that photo to, to people like you and being like, make me look like this. Please talk and, and, and tell the listeners the story about your wonderful client. Yeah. So th- this story is of an, of an elderly woman who is very far from er- elderly in between the years. And she's an example of, uh, of quite a few patients I have who had a heavy Southern accent, big glasses, Appeared frail because she moved slowly, but she was sharp as a tack. And she used to come to see me every three months. And she would say, fill me up, doc. Do whatever you got to do. I'm tired <laughs> of people thinking that I'm old. I don't think I look. She was like 94 at the time. She's like, I don't think I look a day over 60. And all my friends make fun of me because I constantly come see you. They're busy going to see all their doctors. You're, my, you're the type of doctor that I want to see. And she would always walk out and give me a hug and uh, say, I'll see uh, if I don't see you in 30 days, you'll know, you'll know where I'll be, you know what I mean? Or 90 days. Uh, and that's how it happened one day. And the, and the point of the story is that she lived with vitality. It wasn't about, I mean, she was a wrinkly woman. You, you would have said to her, if you were related to her, you would have been like, why are you spending all that money on those stupid injections? They don't, they don't do anything for you. Well, guess what? They did something for her. They made her mm-hmm. feel better. They made her feel that people looked at her with a less ageist mentality. And um, that's what it's about. It's in the ears. It just happens to be the things I did for her changed her neurochemically. And that's what these things are for. It's about the way we feel. You have a fabulous relationship uh, with Madonna. I think a lot of people yes. may know you um, as uh, the consultant for her skincare brand, um, yeah. brand uh, MDNA. Discuss that relationship and sort of what your position was in creating this incredible brand yeah so um i i met madonna i don't know it's got to be like six seven years ago now she had been referred to me through a common 
patient friend of ours, and she started seeing me professionally. Um, and we came, we actually, by complete coincidence, we live across the street from each other in the Hamptons. Oh, amazing. And our children are the same age. So w- we developed a bit of a relationship. I know a little crazy growing up with her, you know. Um, but um, she was getting involved with a renowned Japanese skincare, healthcare company to build this uh, skincare line. She asked me to get involved and, and we got involved in developing it together. And one of the most unique things about Madonna um, is that she's just one of these people that puts 200% into everything she does, whether it's her art, whether it's her books, um, whether it's raising her children, and certainly about the potential endeavor about building a beauty empire. And she had done many other things before. And she's just, you know, she's obsessed with educating herself, um, not only in the books or on internet, but from like absorbing information from people like me. So we had a very good working relationship, working with this company from Japan. And um, over the years, she's remained a patient and a good friend and a neighbor. And, uh, you know, I'm always enamored by the power of her grit, her adaptability, and her desire to make the most out of life, which to me is part of the pro-aging whole thing. It's making the most of your time. Absolutely. She sort of is like the, she is pro-aging and, and your whole ethos like personified. Yeah. And she's not shy about it. She's not someone yeah. who's going to be like, I just look like this at 60. Yeah. I'm this. She's the first one to tell you that she does. She sleeps four hours a night. She is obsessed with doing everything she can to raise her children, to exercise. She's not going to give you the details of what she does to her face and body, but she's not shy about showing you the work mm. that has gotten her to that level. Mm. And believe me, you know, um, you know, with the misogyny in the world and the, the people that have told her she can't do this and can't do that, she has proven everyone wrong on every level. So to me, she is the inspiration of pro-aging. Absolutely. Just bringing it back to the food for a bit. Um, do you practice what you preach? Like, give me I what... Do. Nice. Like, what's a normal day in food for you? So, like we said, I'm really... I'll put like 100 calories into my body with some coffee in the morning. Um, I do <laughs> like a have true a New light Yorker, lunch. Like a true New yeah. Yorker. <laughs> you know, again, I love food. People think because I don't eat that much, I don't love food. But because I love that food, I will only eat significant amounts of it when I have the opportunity to enjoy it. And in general, during the week, that's not the time. Mm. So I eat for nutrients. In the morning, like I said, I have a little granola. In the afternoon, I'll have some fruit. I'll have uh, like a half avocado toast that I'll split with my sister. Um, sometimes I won't eat that much at all. Um, my, my main meal of the day during the week is dinner. Okay. And um, usually during the week, my wife cooks. On the weekends, I cook or we cook together. I will go out to dinner once or twice because I do like to eat. But I try not to eat out that much because I realize restaurants are in the um, the flavor business. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have the restaurants I like, but I'm always concerned about it's never as healthy for you as it may look on the menu. Yeah. Although I do love restaurants. So yeah. um, on the on the weekends, I do indulge. That's the time where I'll have a little bit of alcohol. I'm very conservative with my alcohol intake, one or two glasses of wine a week these days. And I'm conservative with my sugar intake because at 51, also being a post-COVID patient, I find sugar and alcohol are my enemies. And as soon as I indulge, I pay the price. So it's usually the weekends I indulge. So wait, so you're saying that since you've had it you've had a different reaction with alcohol 
and sugar yeah. or well, like, I, really? Absolutely. It's just more of an advanced reaction. As I've gotten older, we all know being hungover is not fun when you're older, right? It's not like it's 17, okay? That, <laughs> no. that those, two mar- those two martinis don't feel that good in the morning, right? No. And of course, when I was young, I used to be able to go out, drink, feel fine, drink yeah. more than one night in a row. I can't do that now. Um, all of the ailments that I have, that we all have as we get older, brain fog, fatigue, poor sleep, um, bloating, right? Puffy eyes. There's definitely a direct correlation for me between alcohol, sugar, and those ailments. I also have some shoulder and joint problems because I live a very active work life. As soon as I cut out alcohol and sugar, all those things go away. They just go away. Yeah. And if I don't drink for two weeks, my shoulder has gone. I only need six hours of sleep and I'm like clear. I'm not mm. puffy. I purposely didn't drink or have sugar for you because I want to look pretty for you. Of course. You're look- <laughs> and you're glowing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's, that's, that's the ring light. That's the ring light. But yeah, no, so but no, again. You, you do look great. You do look good. I, I know my balance. And, yeah. you know, my wife, my wife, God bless her. She's one of these annoying skinny people that could have Nutella by the spoonful oh, and drink a God. glass of wine every night. I, you know do what I mean? you know what? But like, I don't understand that because I look at Nutella and I put on no. like three oh, I kilos. I, I just, I yeah. Listen, she she is genetically blessed in some ways, and there are other things <laughs> that she has to watch out. She's not superhuman. There are other things that she has to be very careful about, like with her exercise. She has certain yeah. type of joint and back issues. Yeah. So again, no one is immune to aging. Mm. It's the ultimate equalizer. And whenever you see a supermodel and you see someone who's perfectly airbrushed on or facetuned on the Instagram. Know when you're worried about your lips or all these things, know that A, what you're looking at is probably fake and airbrushed. Um, Also know that if that person's lucky, they will suffer the same side effects of aging that you and me and everyone else is. It's the ultimate equalizer. And isn't that nice? Yeah. And can I also actually just touch on something else now that I think of it? Because you mentioned about how when you were younger, you were a little heavier I was also that child as well. Yeah. I was a bit overweight as a kid and in, in deeply insecure about it. Um, yeah. But I feel like I'm one of those people that as I've got older, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm like blowing my own trumpet, but as I've got older, I've got better. Yes. I'm kind of like a fine wine. And I, yeah. and that for me, <laughs> then I, then I look at, I look at aging and then I think, God, you know, even sort of like in my twenties when I was partying a lot more and my life was crazy and wild, I thought I looked really good then, but actually I'm kind of quite happy with where it's going. I mean, listen, I'm yeah. still human. I have my insecurities, but yes, I, yeah. Yes. This is this is what healthy aging is. Yeah. When we're we're from an infant through childhood through teenage years, the only perspective we have is what we see, how we talk, how we learn, how we love. That's why the childhood years are so important because we have nothing else than those around us. As we get older, we learn to teach ourselves and not mm. only use what's around us. So it gives us the opportunity to develop our sense of self our sense of ego, our sense of confidence. And to me, that is the greatest achievement of life, realizing that it's not just about those around us, it's about the inner journey. And I think like the fine wine, once you hit your mid to late 20s and 30s, 
and up into your 90s, like this women, women uh, mm-hmm. this woman we spoke about, that is a successful life led. Yeah. Um, now, some of us catch up later than others. We have our, I always say, I think I'm a really good cosmetic dermatologist because I'm the vainest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that but comes is, but partially that, from my But is that a bad thing? I don't think no, no, it no. is. No. You know, you've, if no. you think, if you're in the right mindset, yeah. it's not well, a bad I thing. Le- I let my insecurities, um, I, I let the things that I'm uncomfortable with in my life drive me to success. It's about mm-hmm. how you channel them. It's not about their existence. Like you're unhappy with your ass or you're unhappy with your lips or you're unhappy with the puffiness. It's about how you channel that energy and use that insecurity to positive things. And yeah. it could be used towards work, to your relationships, towards philanthropy. It doesn't have insecurity doesn't have to be destructive. Mm. It doesn't. Mm. You know, and sometimes people who are have no insecurities and are too comfortable with themselves leads to a life of lethargy and a life of not achieving as much. You need that balance. You need that balance. And, you know, there's, there's no one answer me or anyone can give. It's just people have to unwrap themselves around the marketing ploys of diet and anti-aging and vanity and narcissism and realize that these are all just rewards for self-care. We should feel good about the work that we do on ourselves in the mirror, in the gym, at the kitchen table. Talking about your weekends where you do like to sometimes indulge or have a glass here or there, what are some of your specialities when you are cooking at home? Um, I don't like fancy meals. I like basic food done delicious. Mm. Excellent steak. You know, I don't like steak with tons of sauces. I like excellent meat cooked the right way. Um, I love when I treat myself, I love my pastas. I'm Italian. Um, I love cooking fish. I love shellfish. Um, You know, maybe part of it because I'm such a visual person uh, for my for my job. I love food that looks beautiful. Yeah. And my wife is very good at putting table settings together and putting food on a plate. So we work so well together. To me, delicious food, the visual aspects is part of the gustatory um, experience. Absolutely. So Couldn't agree more. And when you uh, do go out, where are some of your favorite restaurants to eat at? You know, a lot of it has to do with neighborhood. I'm, I'm hitting all my old places in the West Village. I just went to a place called The Warren um, on Christopher Street across the street from where I used to live on Christopher Street many years ago when I first met my wife. And to me, as great as the food was, was just the feeling being in a small, intimate restaurant with some great music playing in the background and seeing some young, vibrant people on dates <laughs> and with each other. It was just experiential. And that's what I go out to dinner for. It's not always just the food. It's experiential. I mean, we all like that experience with Daniel Baloud yeah. or that sushi omikasa experience mm-hmm. with masa. Those are okay occasionally. But to me, it's about the experience and the coziness. And yeah. that's what I shoot for. Oh God, just you mentioning certain street names in New York. That was where I used, I used to live just um, on Hudson between 10th and... It's right here. Something, yeah. yeah. Literally on top of it's you. Great. Oh, it's great. To be back. I'll be back. You'll be back. Right. I end my chats with a few quick fire okay. questions. So, right. 
My favorite snack in the world, which is not great for my skin because they're so oily, uh, is a packet of what you guys call potato chips. Mm. What are your favorite potato chips and why? I like the salt and vinegar. And I think I nice. like them. But when I eat them, I can't tell <laughs> if I like them or not. I just can't stop eating them. It gives you that like puckered feeling like it does something to your body. And I'm like... <laughs> I keep eating them, but do I like them? <laughs> I think I do. So. But is there like a bit, because there's so many different salt and vinegar flavors out there. Like, is there a particular brand? Are we talking about like a Lay's or are we talking I'm about more, something? No, I'm not a Lay's guy. No. I'm more of a serrated edge okay. ruffles. Yeah. You know, or extra crunchy type yeah. of that. I don't like the thin stuff. Although no. there's nothing wrong with a good Pringle. There's nothing wrong with a good Pringle. See, I, okay. Have you seen the test with the Pringles? I think if I send you no. a video of the Pringles being lit on fire, I don't think you'll eat them again. No, I don't want to see them. <laughs> I don't eat them that much. I don't eat them that much. <laughs> what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? I don't go that crazy. I have to say, I mean, I, I've had sweet brains before. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're not they're sweet breads. Sweet breads, which yeah, are yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, you know, I don't like to eat things that far off the beaten path. Like I said, I like my food delicious and basic. Yeah, I get that. What has been your most memorable meal? Right now, my most memorable meal is when I had COVID and I had 103.5 fever for 14 days. And I didn't think there were, there were moments where I, I, I didn't know which direction it was going to go. I remember when I broke my fever, I had lost 14 pounds Wow. And for the first time, I, it was the moment I knew I was going to be okay. And I was frail. And I was, came out of quarantine and I was sitting in my living room. And my father, uh, we always grew up going to Katz's Deli in New York City. <sighs> and my father brought me, I mean, it, it gives me chills thinking about it. He brought me a pastrami sandwich from Katz's Deli. And it was the first non-fever, knowing I was going to be okay meal that I had. And I swear to you, I think it was like the greatest meal I've ever had tasting that. It was so delicious. Katz's pastrami. Oh, God. I mean, Katz's deli on a, on a normal day is great. Yeah. I can I know. only imagine. And when imagine. everything was closed down, he, he was still going down there, my dad, my 70-year-old dad, who also oh, is the epitome of pro-aging. Him and my son and me, we go down there, we get a hot dog and a pastrami sandwich. And it doesn't get better than that. It may get as oh, good, but it's not going to get better than that. You're killing me. You're absolutely killing me. <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you? Chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I just like okay. Yeah. But like, what are we um, talking about? Do you like them crunchy? Do you like them soft mm -mm. and molten in the middle? I like soft. I'm not the crunchy guy. No. You know, here in New York, we have Levan cookies. I've um, been. Like, you've been. They're good for one bite. I need I the agree. perfect chocolate. You know, my sister, when we lived together, she used to bake cookies. And I'd always joke with her, the ratio's off. The ratio's <laughs> off. It's the chip ratio, you know. So it was always like, you know, they were always amazing. And they're still amazing when she makes them for me. But I'd always kind of like critique her on the chip ratio so she'd be okay. like oh we got a good ratio on this batch paul we got a good ratio to be fair i actually get that i hate having a cookie when there's not enough chocolate chip in it or too much or too much i agree no yeah. no you're yeah. do you know what? there's a real science behind that actually hmm. and i don't like nuts that. in my cookies no i love nuts i don't want walnuts in my cookies no 
No. Only now has Levon made walnut-free cookies. Finally. Oh, really? Yeah, they I always didn't... had nuts in them unless you got like the chocolate chocolate chip. Yeah, which is just uh, listen, I love that place, but I that that double triple chocolate thing uh, is a little bit too much for me. It'll give you diabetes. Yeah, <laughs> looking at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the final question, and I think the most important, live to eat or eat to live? I think you know the answer to that one. Come on. We live to eat yeah. and enjoy. Yeah. We live to live. Yeah. And eating is part of life. And uh, I think we're, we're getting smarter about it overall. And people are realizing that food is the best medicine and the best toxin. It's just a matter of how you put it in your body. And you got to eat well to pro-age well. You do. <laughs> you do. Unfortunately, that involves a little less sugar and alcohol, sadly. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. It's, all about how you, it's all about how you figure out the ride to make exactly. it pleasurable, you know? I just want there was one uh, bit in the book that really did make me laugh. Um, I'm not a I'm not, I'm not a huge drinker. I used to drink a lot more when I was a bit younger, um, but I do like a drink every now and again. And um, I'm that person that's always like, hey, if I'm going to drink, I'm going to choose the alcohol with like the least amount of calories. That's like the best one for you. I'll just do like straight tequila. I'm happy. But you're literally in the book. You're like the best form is to just not drink. Like, yes, yes. stop telling well, again, me that, alcohol, you know, cer certain spirits every, are better than others. <laughs> everybody, like, yeah, wants, everybody wants to convince you. Everybody wants to be convinced yeah. that alcohol is good for you. That yeah. there is like no carb this, low fat that. They're trying to give you to, a reason to think that the potato chips are healthy, that the alcohol is good, that there are healthier forms of cigarettes. How about this? How about we accept the fact that we got to live and we deserve to indulge anymore? So when you do treat yourself and indulge, have exactly what you yeah. want. Just don't do it all the time. You want a margarita with sugar and double shot of tequila? Enjoy it. Because what's going to happen is if you eat the lesser version or you're getting fixed into it, like I'm going to have a healthy cocktail, it just sets the bad stage. I Enjoy yourself. And you're still, and you're not satisfied. You haven't actually satisfied that craving that you wanted. So just yeah. go and do it. Yeah, that's why when I eat meat, I'm going to eat the meat that I yeah. want. Yeah. If I have bread, I don't want the like the bread that you get at a bad restaurant. I want the yeah. fresh, you know, I want to indulge. Just do it yeah. the right way. Absolutely. Oh, P Dr. Paul, this has been such an interesting conversation for me. It's been so lovely to meet you. And I just think, you know... We are all, whenever I'm talking about food, it's always sort of coming from very different angles, but this angle I haven't really tackled. And I think it is really important that people realize you can have everything, just be careful about it, be mindful about it, and yes. also just grow old gracefully because it's happening whether you like it or not. Yes. It's not about natural, it's about graceful. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. There's nothing natural about our existence. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. And when you come to New York, you better let me know. And we're oh, going to Katz's Deli and we're going to walk around the neighborhood here. Yes. Yes. Okay. And we might Thank go get so a, we might go get a cookie, cookie and we might go and have a drink, but we won't tell anybody about no, that. No, no, we're going to do that. Thank you so much for having <laughs> Thank me. I really appreciate you. it. You can follow Dr. Paul on social media at Dr. Paul Jared Frank. Until next yes. time. See you later. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time. Bye.